Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of the Distraction Pieces Drunk Cast. Once again, I'm just here to give you a warning. Things might get offensive, particularly in this episode. There's a bit where we talk about a good friend of mine, in fact, Cedric from At The Drive. And we talk about At The Drive a lot, but James brings up a very serious news story that I discussed with Cedric in the Distraction Pieces. So trust me, it has been covered in depth, but we move on quite quickly because we felt our drunk levels may not have given it the hugely serious respect it deserves. And I mean, a a trigger warning, because it is a story that involves abuse and dark things. And we wish shocked. It's not like we're joking about it. Don't panic. We were drunk, but we're not arseholes. We were serious about it, but we move on quite swiftly without going into good um, analysis on it. But as I said, go back to my episode with Cedric from At The Driving for that. The only other thing I want to do now is get Buddy Peace to cut in the ramble I did about the Pod Bible listening party <laughs> and about the distraction quiz. I'm going to get him to cut them in from the previous intro. So if you've heard it, you can skip. But I want, I want you all to hear about it and know. So that's going to go now. Two things I need to tell you about. The most important one is the Pod Bible listening parties. Um, next week, inspired by by uh, uh, Tim Burgess's album listening parties, we decided to put together a lineup of podcast listening parties. And the idea will be that you all, ch- all tune in and press play on the same episode at the same time. We all listen at the same time, and the hosts of the podcast will be on Twitter to answer your questions, to give some behind the scenes information and some insights um and we'll all have some good fun with it it'll be a chance to talk to the guests it might be a chance to hear some podcasts you've not heard before it'll be a chance to talk to the host to get the behind the scenes and to potentially revisit a favorite so just quickly on tuesday may 19th we've got rich wilson's insane in the main brain podcast he's doing an episode i've talked about on here before his episode with michael smiley it's fantastic it's one of the best bits of podcasting i've ever heard then at 8 30 on on tuesday may 19th is the football ramble daily on wednesday may 20th is white wine question time with kate thornton at 7 p.m and at 8 30 p.m it's drunk women solving crime on thursday the 21st of may at 7 p.m it's north star rising which i narrate so i'll be on with Mike Biffle and all of the rest of the of the, the 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 voice cast on that to talk about the first episode, episode one of North Star Rising, a space adventure. Then we've got at eight thirty that night. It will be giant. On Friday, the twenty second of May, we've got Say Your Mind podcast at seven pm, and f- finishing off on Friday, the twenty second at eight thirty. In- incidentally, my dad's birthday. Um, it will be distraction pieces and we're going to be re-listening to the joe gilgan episode i think which is one of my favorite of recent years and touches upon some really important and heavy stuff and also some absolute n- nonsense so yeah that is exciting the other thing i want to tell you about quickly is um the distraction quiz because we had the first distraction quiz um on monday and it went down amazingly we've literally had thousands of people playing along which blew our mind like we expected a few hundred um you can go and play it now. It's an hour-long quiz from all of the hosts of podcasts on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's on YouTube. Just search Distraction Quiz. So you can play at any point. Put your scores in the comments. Put your scores on my Facebook or Twitter or Instagram posts about it. And then we're going to have this second quiz live on Monday, um, the what's that? The 18th? Yeah, at, at 8.30. 
So the way that works, again, it'll be all over the socials, but if you just search distraction quiz around 8.20, it'll bring up the the holding page. And then there's chat. Like what I loved in this was that in the YouTube chat on the, the side, because it's done as a YouTube premiere, I was in there, Dan Lassac was in there, Craig Parkinson was in there. Uh, who, who else? Dr. Susie Gage, Chris Glasson. So we're all in there chatting along as people are giving their results and talking about how bad they did because they felt it was really hard. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting and it was put together by Luke at Bang Boom Creative and the biggest feedback was how amazing it looked because a lot of quizzes at the moment are just people on Zoom and this is a bit different to say the least. Um, I spent a whole day filming my links, so y- and you'll s- see why when you watch it. Um, this is part two. Huge warnings, huge apologies, um, but wait till you hear part three. Uh, Distraction Pieces, Drunk Cast, episode 325, with Ed Campbell, James A. Caster, Chris Glasson and Stu Whiffin, and me, Scroobius Pip. So this kind of ties a lot of things together there. So when you guys went to see Death Grips and you kind of had to go, oh, this is who I am. I'm one of these <laughs> middle-class white people at the Death Grips gig, mm. except me. I had that with, and this is horrible because I don't, I hope that they're not listening to this, but I had that with, with one of my fans once and it was the most depressing thing of, of realising who my fan base is, which in general, I want to be clear, they're lovely and wonderful, but... I had someone message me. In one of my songs, I referenced Chuck D. And they messaged me saying, hey, big fan of the song. Um, Heard you reference Chuck D in this song. Are you referencing uh, Charles Dickens? (laughs) (laughs) And it broke my fucking heart. Because I assume that my fan base... I I assume that my fan base is rap fans and hip-hop kids and all this. And it's literally... (laughs) Yeah, I've got poetry, poetry people and well. literature people. Uh, I was so heartbroken. I was like, oh, this perfect. is... Obviously, this I'm, is only, I'm only referring to Charles Dickens as Chuck D from now on. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, oh, Prophets of Rage, though, and me and Chris have discussed this, Prophets of Rage are a thing that on paper sounds like yeah. the worst thing ever. <laughs> and then as soon as I watched a video of it, it was the best thing I've ever seen. It's like So it's, it's Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy and Cypress Hill all forming a mega band oh, I had where the, they play their songs. I had the reverse experience. So I, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so <laughs> on paper I was like, because they, they released an album in 2016 and I'm obsessed with the uh-huh. year 2016 in music. So like I saw that, um, that they this super group released an album. I was fucking delighted. I was like, great, I'm going to get this album. You know, this could be an addition to the book or whatever I do with this project. And I listened to the album and was absolutely heartbroken at how much I didn't enjoy it and uh, had see, to just leave it. You see, to be fair, I've not heard the album. I, l- I literally just saw all the videos of their live gigs where they're playing Rage songs, oh, yeah, but well, with Chuck D and, 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 and Be Real as the vocalist. I wouldn't, and like, I wouldn't, go, near the, I wouldn't them into, go near the album. Like You, you want to see it yeah. live, right? Because it's all your favourite people yeah. from all your favourite bands. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but because again, you think of any band you go you go and see, and in that hour or ninety minutes, there's going to be a few songs that you're not into. 
but 90 minutes to get your favourite Rage, Public Enemy and Cypress Hill songs it's quite literally, as some 41 said, all killer, no filler. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's mind-blowing. And I've got to say, be, that, that I, some 41 album had a lot of filler. A lot of filler? <laughs> Not as much filler as their subsequent albums, but still a lot of filler. I, 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 I mean, considering that they're the band who taught us that phrase and we all carry it with us as creative people, <laughs> it is quite astounding that they wrote one good song. <laughs> I mean, Fat given, their, the given their dues, there In was deep, some though. killer... <laughs> Into Dixie Killer, killer as well. <laughs> Kerry, K- Kerry King's on that track. Come on, there's there's two good songs on that album. Fat Lip in Too Deep. Amazing. Kerry, yeah, could anyone good. could anyone name more than two Sum yeah. Forty One songs? Yeah, yeah. Oh, James Dean could. Fat Lip. Uh, Never wake up. There you go. <laughs> and, and correct. And and next, James. Good Charlotte. Good <laughs> not. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and then I'm stuck. <laughs> Prophets of Rage Rage does sound... It sounded to me like the Judgment Night soundtrack all over. All rolled into one, wasn't it? Yeah. I was just like, yeah, if it's it's like that, um, sign me up. Which, yeah, I have no no complaints about at all. Surely that's the best soundtrack to an odd film ever. (laughs) Yes. Or, or, or James, on your touching upon your obsession with the year 2016, Mm. genuinely, has that inspired you to fuck about and make some music in this time because i know you've gone deep from into soundcloud records made in that time and all sorts of other stuff and when you go deep into any specific time period you're gonna find the stuff that that wasn't recorded at abbey road and and Mm. and and produced by these huge artists just these weird things that just sound amazing and the first as stupid as it sounds going to see and this all of my any of my child's dickens loving fans are not going <laughs> to like this but genuinely one of the things that made me go i should i can do this was going to see the bloodhound gang because uh-huh. it felt as stupid as that it felt achievable it felt yeah. i absolutely adored it on every level on every level but seeing them live i was like i could do that yeah. this sounds like something i could do and that's the case when you go below that kind of that polished mainstream veneer and you hear people who are making stuff on Garage Band and on, on Music 2000 and on just all sorts of weird shit. So was that, did that kick you up the arse go, let's make some music, man? Yeah, in a way. It's, it's, it's made me kind of like realise that even if I wouldn't ever let anyone else listen to it, um, that I can still, you know, for years before I did stand-up, all I did was play the drums and write songs with my friends, and I really enjoyed it and have had to, like, deny that part of myself for years so that I don't think that I'm selling myself out and going down a, a different path. Yeah, you know, I've had to kind of deny the fact that I want to make music for, like, quite a long time. Um, and, you know, stand-up comedy is the best job I've ever had, and I love it more than I've ever loved being in bands and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's made me kind of realise that I can, if I want to, still mess around and make songs at home and that that's something that I personally enjoy and that it doesn't have to be... Because when I was in bands, it was all trying to get other people's approval. So it's quite nice that I can just make stuff for my own uh, fun now and then that's that's it and I can do it at home. And I can. I, I actually ordered the other day, and it's arrived now, uh, a, a stylophone, but like a, a massive, Amazing. like... A, like a beefy one that's got loads of different effects on it that I can really fuck around with because I love I had a stylophone in one of my um, solo Edinburgh shows and so I've got a really big beefcake one now and I'm playing around with that over the top of these drum loops that uh, that I made before the lockdown so yeah it's it's good but then what it has also done is made me really appreciate how much the people who make their albums at home 
are incredible musicians, really understand how to make this, make songs and use the software and play their instruments. And that's why the yeah. albums that come out are as good as they are. Because you hear them and go, they just made it in their bedroom. I'll do it. But it's like, no, just because you've got a bedroom, James, doesn't mean you're a musician. <laughs> like, you can't actually 100%. play these songs. Like, you can't, like, there's a guy called Jay Thoops, T-H-O-U-B-B-S. And he, uh, like, he's released, like, 10 or 20 albums a year since he was 18 on Bandcamp and he records all of them in his bedroom and you might hear the story and think oh yeah well great that means anyone can do it and then now I listen to him and go that guy's like a freakishly good guitarist and can do these amazing yeah. like you know this, he can do anything on the guitar and he understands how to record at home so well that he can make something sound like it's in a studio but in his bedroom that doesn't mean anyone can do it <laughs> like he's doing something superhuman with like tools that are very really what i need to do is get a studio and a proper recording studio and all that equipment you need the equipment good. you need the equipment to lift you yeah i need auto yeah. yeah. i need all that stuff <laughs> yeah like <laughs> yeah and when i was working on my on my distraction pieces solo album we were the times that we were recording drums again we were me and Wolgie, who produced a lot of it, were obsessed with the driving, and we'd always heard that on that album they'd recorded all the drums by just hanging an SM58 above the drum kit, mm-hmm. and that was it. And it's, it's, it's some of my favourite drums I've ever heard recorded. I was like, we're going to do that. As soon as we did that, oh, my God, it sounded awful. The room was wrong. <laughs> The drummer we used w- wasn't that good. It's like, yeah. oh, it worked for them because they're absolutely amazing at what yeah. they do and the producers and everything is There's working Rick Rubin in sync. On, but, no, no, it wasn't Vic Rubin. It was Ross Robinson yeah. on that. Ross album, Robinson right? on the air. Yeah. Ross Robinson, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we're like, all right, oh, all you need to do, turns out, is hang a mic above the drum kit. All this, <laughs> all these thousands of pounds w- 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 worth of drum mics and, and specific rooms is a, is a myth. Here's yeah, a question. Instantly we learned quick, that was um, wrong. Because of what you said earlier about Travis Barker. Yeah. Was that for the same album? No, no, no. So tra- oh, okay. tra- Travis played drums on Introduction, and yes. I've never met Travis. It was some drum tracks. Oh, okay. And I don't think I've ever re- revealed this. It was drum tracks he'd laid for a remix of a D'Antward song that never got released. Oh, right. And then Danny Lona was doing the remix, and, and it didn't happen. And he kind of said to me, I've got these, these drums from tra- uh, Travis, and it worked. And because I released that album on my own label... Up until the two days before I was meant to be going to press on the vinyl and all that, I hadn't had clearance from Travis. So my plan, I had a backup artwork <laughs> that just didn't mention him. I was going to use them still, I just I wasn't going to mention him. Yeah. And then I'd put out the video for Introduction and Travis had tweeted it saying, I love this, it's great, blah, blah, blah. And it was after that that we kind of buddied up and he was like, yeah, I'll lay some tr- a tr- a tracks down for you. But... The nicest guy in the world, a multi-millionaire, I'm sure, amazingly a talent. He gave me like three hours of recording, and as I left, he gave me a holdall of just clothes from his clothing label, Famous Stars and Straps. It's like, here you go, here's a load of clothes to wear as well. I was like, okay, man, thanks. And not only am I not paying you to do all this, you're just you're giving me free clothes. Did, 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 you tell him, did you tell him you were about to use the drums anyway without mentioning him, or did you keep that quiet? <laughs> <laughs> I've, 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 I've told him since, and literally a year after, a year after the record came out, I got all the notes from his lawyers saying that you can't put on the front cover, you can't mention the words Blink-182 or Travis Bark or any of these things. And it was all this stuff, and I actually emailed him back going, I mean... 
Now, this is lovely, but the album came out a year ago, guys. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not a this piece is- of shit. So, so I didn't make a big deal of it. I just had it on the credits, and that was that. One, yeah. one, one of my favourite thing things that's happened recently, there's a hardcore band called The Armed who, like, just fucking troll everyone. They're sort of Death Grips <laughs> level of trolling. And they released a song called uh, Featuring Frank Turner. And they'd found yes. a Frank Turner demo uh, from somewhere, like a vocal demo for a song that Frank Turner had not released. I don't know how they got hold of it. And they used his vocals uh, on a track they released uh, without asking and called it Featuring Frank Turner. Uh, and, <laughs> wow. Uh, and used a Legends. picture to advertise the single, used a picture of Frank Carter. <laughs> no, that's fucking amazing uh, that's fucking amazing when I had, I had Danny Brown on my radio show when I was oh, I had wow. a show on XFM and he's amazing and we hit it off because he'd just been to do press with The Guardian uh-huh. and The Guardian were clearly just kind of going oh this Danny Brown and asking him stuff about food and barbecues and it was all bullshit and I actually was into his music but I'm interviewing him and we're chatting I'm like and now I'm going to play um a new uh, track like, off of a, a mixtape from Danny Brown, and we play it. I think he might have mentioned it on air. He was like, oh, what's this track? And I told him, he's like, oh, yeah, I've never heard this. And I was like, what? Because I'd got it off of a blog, and I was like, oh, what do you mean we never heard it? And he's like, oh, I was, I was round that guy's house, and we were smoking and drinking, doing r- rapper shit. <laughs> which is my favourite just, just generalisation. Smoking, drinking, doing rapper shit. And I laid down this vocal. He'd never heard it. He didn't know it was out. I'd found it on this bootleg, like, on this on this, on this this blog. And I was like, this is the most amazing track. So not only did I give it its first UK airplay, I gave it its first airplay to Danny Brown, who recorded the vocal. Wow. It's, it's fucking amazing. Um, did you hear Stu? Stu's a big fan of Nevermind. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a chat the other day about it. See that Travis Barker, uh, during the lockdown, has done like a, a collaboration with Post Malone where they've basically played the whole of Nevermind over like Zoom and stuff together. No, I haven't. Have you heard it's it? Travis, yeah, well, it's on YouTube in bits, but there's Travis Barker on the drums, Post Malone's doing guitar and vocals. And- He's there in a dress as Kurt wore, like a matching <clears throat> address to the dress Kurt wore. Well, well yeah, yeah. So uh, Post Malone's wearing a floral dress. Um, Travis is actually the only one who's not doing that. Uh, so, like, Travis is just dressed as Travis. And uh, th- there's a bass player who's wearing a, flor- a floral dress as well. But um, I watched it to kind of like, because I'm not a really a Post Malone fan, so I watched it to kind of make fun of Post Malone by myself during lockdown. But it's not bad. It's, it's quite good. And, and obviously, Travis, I didn't know Travis was even involved in it, and uh, is, is great. But uh, yeah, it's actually Post Malone's voice, isn't yeah. it? To, I, mean, I mean, we're talking, me and Stu were talking the other day about how great Kurt's voice was, and I don't think anyone will be as good singing those songs, but he still, he, he holds his own more than I thought he would. I mean, I should point out that Puddle of Mud appear to yeah. be um, being able to do it quite well. Um, <laughs> that I mean, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got a WhatsApp group, haven't we, called the Puddle of Mud fan club now? Yeah. yeah. Did you... Did, did, I discussed that when when James was on off the beaten track. No, that was just no, oh it, mate, no. <laughs> the Cartman, that the was mind blowing. He's Cartman, wa- isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've watched it so many times, and and I, I I showed my partner, and then I put on the 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 Alan Partridge 
doing an ABBA medley where, where at the end he's just screaming it in the woman's yeah. f- f- face. So I say thank you for... And it's, it's, it's exactly that, just the good yeah. dude's just screaming it out. But James, ha- have you listened to much Post Malone? No, well, not loads. I mean, I've listened to bits, like, basically... Again, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record because it's all I talk about now music-wise. But, like, he had an album in 2016. A friend of mine sent it to me, and I listened to the Iverson track, whatever it was called, something Iverson. And I thought it was fine, yeah. but I didn't love it. And uh, then I've heard bits and bobs. That I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what the names are over the years. Because yeah. um, he seems like a relevant artist. But, like, I've never really been able to get into any of Mate, it as much as, like, um, a lot of the other stuff I like. I completely... Uh, I relate to that a mate of mine sam marshall who's been on the podcast he's he's a crossfit guy he, for, it's been an ongoing j- a joke that he's been saying to me for years oh you'll love post malone and i was like cool i'm not going to listen to it now because you really want me to listen to it it's <laughs> yes. kind of a, that that stubbornness of you want me to listen to it so bad mm-hmm. i'm not going to but i was writing a script and and the characters in it are a kind of w- weird rap groups so i put together a playlist a post Malone and Takeshi Six Nine and loads of stuff that I maybe wouldn't have listened to, mm-hmm. and download the tracks better now if you've not heard it and and S- S- Sunflower because they're two that I put on this kind of playlist to get in the character, and they're f- two of the best songs I've heard in recent years. And it was ex- exactly the same. I kind of was like, right. oh, it's this guy everyone's talking about, and and as someone who, who used to do music. I get it constantly. There'll be certain people that come around that I get tons of tweets to say, have you heard Sleaford Mods, who are obviously amazing, but have you heard Post Malone? Have you heard, who was that, that Hobo Hobo and the Johnsons or something? Or Hobo Johnson. There's certain people who I get to it and because of my stubbornness, I'll generally go, right, I'll never listen to them then. Mm. That's right. If if everyone thinks I'll love them, I will never listen to them. But yeah, Wu Tang was enough for me. I just listened to Wu Tang because it was, it was aggressive swearing. <laughs> I, I was fine with that. Yeah, I got it's, kind of annoyed by that edge. So, so like to start with, I like my and I. It wasn't until I got older I could reflect and go, hold on, I was being a bit pretentious. Because to start with, my entry, my intro to hip hop was Vanilla Ice, and now I'm not like I can't. I'm not ashamed of that. I loved that Ice Ice Baby when I was like nine. Yeah. And then I got into, very quickly, I got into like Cypress Hill and then I was diehard. And I remember even being by like 13, there was a kid on the train uh, on the train platform with me listening to A to the K and he just liked it because it was sweary. And I was already a bit bit snobbish and I was like, he's only listened to it because he's saying fuck or whatever. And I hate I hate that, 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 that there was yeah. a period of time where I was pretentious and I... I thought mm. it mattered. And now I'm really glad. I don't care how I get into music and that journey. It can be anything that gets you into. It's going to sound stupid, but the the day I accepted Lil Wayne into my life mm. was one that was, was such an, an opener for hip-hop because it's not even going that route of Public Enemy of going, yeah, but he's talking about conscious stuff. It's like, he's just an amazing rapper. Mm-hmm. He, he talks nonsense half the time. It's offensive half the time, but I've never heard someone as comfortable on the mic as Lil Wayne. And that's just such a buzz. As someone who slaved over every syllable, Mm. to hear someone just clearly just go, I'll just jump in the booth and we'll record a song. (laughs) It's fucking exciting and a buzz. But on on the subject of Ramesh, I've dug him out a few times because his series, Judge Ramesh, he walks out to a hip-hop song every time. And they've done a two-series now. 
And I was like, are you going to be able to do a f- third series or have you ran out of hip-hop songs that are acceptable t- <laughs> to white people? You, you've had Jurassic 5, you've had Cypress Hill, you've had Beastie Boys, you've had Public Enemy, all, all the gateway hip-hop songs. Concrete Jungle by Jurassic 5 is the ultimate gateway. Yeah. So, ah, yeah, no, I'm, I was a metaler, but the, uh, um, a lot of metal clubs, they'd the, uh, drop that or a Cypress Hill song or whatever, and you'd be like, mm. yeah... I'm into it was a, it was a judgment night soundtrack that was the real game changer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, I was DJing in, in in the rock clubs at that point, and it, and it was. Well, to it be was clear, so- everyone, Stu's a lot older than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll continue. laughs> I thought I thought you had your video on sepia, but that's just how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, Continue, Stu. Yeah. Old detuned piano playing under everything <laughs> Stu says. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, is that, is, that why you're, is that why you're broadcasting from a 1980s stand-up club in New York? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it, Rick yeah. Wall, are you outside, Stu? I've been meaning to ask this whole time. I'm in my bar. bar. You, you got a bar? Oh, okay, you're that bar, yeah. in the yeah. garden. You've got, <laughs> got, you got enough disposable income for your own bar. Lovely. We're recording this just after VE Day, which is Stu's <laughs> favourite day, because everyone else is playing We'll Meet Again and Vera Lynn songs, because that's just constant on, on bl- blasting out of Stu's living room. <laughs> but go on, Judgment Day, <laughs> or Judgment Night. <laughs> um, no, it, it was, it was just a real, like, absolute gateway record for so many, you know, hip-hop artists, because everybody in the rock clubs, you know, it was like, I think Faith No More was with, like, Booyah Tribe, and there was uh, yeah. House of Pain and Helmet, was it? Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah. De La Salle and Teenage Fan Club. It was Onyx and it was Onyx with. I can't think who Onyx done their tune can't with. Think. But it was like huge album. Biohazard. Biohazard. That's right. Biohazard. Yeah. Well, Bi- Biohazard have, have been responsible for some fairly awful Fucking rap hell. metal crossovers <laughs> in their time. I have not thought about you, Biohazard since I was. He's a porn, <laughs> he's, you know, he's a porn star now. So he's the, so Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard is married to Tara Patrick, who was a massive porn star oh, for a while, wow. and they've oh, yeah. done they've done porn together. I would and let me tell that. you that that man can bend some serious fast. So so so, <laughs> so, so 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 as a metaler as a kid who was into Sepultura and and all these mm. bands, the reason I got into Biohazard was because my real name is David and my brother's name is Ian. And Biohazard had an album called Davidian, <laughs> which is David Ian. And I was wonderfully excited at the fact that they had this album of, that was that was bringing us together, br- bringing us together as, as brothers. And yeah, that was my my route Amazing. into Biohazard. Sepultura, if I met, I got so I got into metal when I was thirteen, and it was the same year that Soulfly released their debut album. And Amazing. Every the week, the, the week that I decided to get into it was when they were on the front cover of every metal magazine on Kerrang and Metal Hammer. So like everything I bought, they were on the front cover of, and so I instantly by default got into them and decided they were my new favorite band. And I still think now that if I, because like, I mean I haven't listened to their albums in a long time, but I probably would still like their first album if I listened back to it. I'd hope that I would, but I still think that if I met Max Cavalera, I would st- I would. I, I think I would get too emotional, even though I'm not even into anything he does anymore, but I would feel like he was yeah. like some lost, well, long I, lost so I, relative. I got to, as part of life, as I did a, like two weeks ago, did a long Zoom interview with Andreas Kisser from Sepultura. And that was Amazing. fucking massive for me. And it's really cool. Like I got to speak to loads of people I really like, but 
it, within a minute, you suddenly relax and realise, oh, they're just nerds. Like, yeah. all metalheads are just yeah. nerds of a really aggressive flavour. That That's all it is. <laughs> or, or, or in the era, I mean, we talked earlier about how how hard it is to make m- money in music, and more so now when streaming and everything else. And, and a, a thing now is to try and make, to try and put value in music, a release vinyl and have it be sp- special and limited edition, all these other things. Sepultura were so ahead of the game. I remember when Roots came out, Mm. they had a version that came with a mortar and pestle. Wow. And again, why would you want that? But I wanted it so badly, I couldn't afford it. I want that now. I'm annoyed I don't have that now. (laughs) I I remember it so clearly, it being out of my my financial reach, but wanting it so bad because it came with a mortar and pestle. It's like... Sake. I've never heard anything so Ed Gamble in my whole life. <laughs> a a, a, a sepultura, pestle and mortar. I, I mean, want that it. Is incredible. Like I want it. That was most of what was on Ed's wedding gift list was pestle and mortars. Was like oh, and a blow a blowtorch as well, like a food blowtorch. I had that. Yeah. I mean, do this, you still have not... the, the the presents? Because I bought you like a thing, and I'm wondering if if you're getting that still. The presents are also in lockdown in a warehouse. So We're you're not all getting. Oh wow. No, we've not had any of them. So they have them in a warehouse, but we need to order them when they can when they all go back to work, basically. So that's going to be nice. Oh, what are you going to sh- do? Are you going to get them when we all come out of this, or are you going to get them when it's your wedding? Yeah, fuck no, I'm not waiting for that. I'm I'm getting all the presents. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love that. My excitement then, I was genuinely going to ask the question, do you have to show them a marriage certificate <laughs> to get the presents? <laughs> They've got them in lockdown. It's like, are you really married to, uh, to release them? <laughs> we need a photo a, 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 with today's paper and a wedding certificate. No, we get, we're getting the presents straight away. And then, you know, then if the wedding doesn't happen, at least we've got loads of presents, even if it all sure. falls apart. <laughs> I've got you, like, like a, you a whiskey decanter or something. What have I got you? Oh yeah, a so it's decanter. a lovely. It's a whiskey in the shape of a rocket. Yes, it's a spaceship. Yeah, yeah. And and it's with the the vinyl of Roots by Sepultura. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I could, the the Roots a Sepultura whiskey decanter. I've only learned now that set. he wants that. Uh, I would have got him that otherwise. I mean, there's still time now. I've got, I've got time for this. You can get me the vinyl. Of, you can get me the vinyl of Roots, and I'll put it next That's to the whiskey decanter. Ed, can I ask? Is there anyone that you've not had on the podcast that would be on a bucket list? That'd oh, be yeah. like a, a real dream guest. I mean, sh- surely Max Cavalera from Sepultura was on your list when you got that other bloke from <laughs> Sepultura. Shush, yeah. shush, shush. I do like Kiss is the other guitarist, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's been in it since since day dot, but he's yeah. still in it. So the 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 remit of the podcast is speaking to people who've gone through loads of shit and they've come out the other side. So it's like the ups and downs of yeah. the music industry, which is why he's probably more Amazing. of an interesting guest because he's been in Sepultura since the beginning, and then Max left, and they got loads of shit thrown at them for being like, "This is you're, you're now a bad band because Max was Max was the king." Uh, and now they've got Derek, who's been in it longer than Max, and they're still doing really well. So it's sort of about about uh, how he came out the other side. <laughs> Ed, Ed, if you want to say that people have been through shit, Max Cavalera's fucking stepson got murdered, and, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he, he formed another band. And he and at one point he accidentally st- stepped on a flag. I think the Brazilian flag and got arrested and shit. No, he's no, had no, a lot I, of stuff thrown out. I, you, I'm sure, and, but also and, he's and, always and been. And you thought of the, the metal media. <laughs> 
And you thought the heaviness of the podcast was peaking with the guy from Out the Drive-In being a, a, a victim of attacks from Scientology after a rape acu- sure. accusation. But no, Max Cavalier has stepped on being killed. Sure, he did. He'd also be, he'd also be a brilliant by interview. Me. It, it all, <laughs> he'd also be a brilliant interview but there's loads there's, lo- there's loads of people I'd love to have on like uh, fucking uh, Randy from um, Lamb of God uh, yeah who uh, a few a few years ago was they were doing a gig in the Czech Republic and uh, a, a, a member of the audience got up and invaded the stage uh, and it was a very sort of heightened time of tension for people stage invading because Dimebag Daryl uh, from Pantera and then Damage Plan got shot. Someone came on and killed him on stage, basically. Mm. So everyone Ooh. was very tense. Yeah. And Randy basically got this, this, the, the stage invader and threw him off the stage. The guy landed on his head uh, and died a couple of days later from the injuries. And Randy got arrested in the Czech Republic and put in jail for like six months, maybe to a year. Like, it was fucking crazy. So, I mean, any good story like that, because he's out the other side of it now. Yeah, and, uh, that that Lamb of God story. documentary is incredible. Yeah. Mm. Man. Are they... So, for someone like me, who is, like, used to be into metal, has gone away from it, and then has, like, come back to it a little bit. Um, and, like, so, like, in the last few years, I'm kind of, like, getting a bit more in tune with it now. Lamb of God seems to be one of those people who... One of those bands who... If you're not into metal, you don't really know who they are, but if you... Like metal, they're like yeah, pretty highly revered, right? They're but like they're, huge. They're highly re- what is highly revered in metal is consistency, <laughs> and mm. they are a very consistent band. Maybe like their last album wasn't as slamming as the, the previous ones, but it's still good. But them, Gajira, Mastodon, Baroness, like heavy bands who've who've uh, evolved but also released consistently good albums. They're the sort of the really big hitters. But they're still like, they're all Brixton, right. Brixton Academy level, basically, yeah. One of the things that I've like gone completely down, because like, during lockdown I've mainly been going down YouTube wormholes every now and again, and I've subscribed to this guy's channel. Um, I, I think it's like Junk Drummer TV or something. It's a drummer, a drum teacher who analyses and does first reactions to drummers and like drum cams and stuff on stage. And one of the drummers that he's obsessed with and all of his subscribers are obsessed with is Gene Hogland, who I've never heard of before, who's like been in like loads of metal bands, but never been in like a huge, like he was in Strapping Young Lad, but like yeah. never any like huge metal bands. So it's like, he's seen as like the best drummer in metal. I've watched like a lot of videos now online about metal bands saying that he's the best, but like I've never heard of him before. And now I'm kind of like obsessed with him within the time of being in lockdown but i find me- like metal drummers like that fucking terrifying because it's so like it's so specific and so scientific and like it's like a, you could you could imagine someone designing a robot that drums like that like it's Ooh. so intense and it's so i prefer a bit yeah. of sort of i want to hear there's a human drumming sure like yeah. blast, yeah, blast a, beats a are great in this one video. you just like yeah. it's just machine gun fire like i prefer to like jp gaster from clutch just the it's uh-huh. it feels bluesy and it feels like you can hear the sticks hitting the drums and it just feels a bit Some more like swing the, yeah the swing exactly i thought bill ward was like completely like he was a jazz drummer and then was in black sabbath and you can hear that he's got a swing to his oh, drum beats oh that was always the thing with travis barker it was always hearing it's a uh-huh. it's a throwaway pop punk band bear on me like oh he's a jazz trained drummer He's a jazz yeah. drummer. He's, he's, he's oh, in that case, yeah. in, <laughs> in I that case, like all a... these songs about wanking and and farting yeah. and have have so, <laughs> so much more artistic quality because he's jazz trained. 
I remember when Take Off Your Pants and Jacket came out. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, uh, there was an interview in it's Karen still, or It's still magazine. funny. Like, absolute shout-out to them. Still funny. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket is the perfect pun. Very funny. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I, I mean, I, I, it still makes me feel nostalgic, that album. But anyway, there was, like, an interview in one magazine, and, and they had, basically, for a gimmick, they interviewed each member individually instead of all together. And Travis Barker was asked about his drum beats and he, he said, oh, you know, I'm actually like putting loads of really weird like Cuban drum beats and stuff like that on this album. The other guys would probably kill me if they found out. And I remember even, <laughs> even as a teenager, <laughs> reading that and being like, they know, if I know, they know, right? Like, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's... I, James Acaster and Ketrin knows, but Mark Hoppus has no idea. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you'd be surprised, because genuinely, I've had things before where I've been going through an old book and I've found a quote I love, and I've tweeted a quote saying, I fucking love this quote, and every response has been, you know that's one of your lyrics, right? And I'd forgotten that I'd put it into <laughs> one of my lyrics and that I loved it as a young t- t- 25-year-old and ripped it off in a lyric. And I'm sitting there like an arrogant prick going... This is such a deep quote. This is absolutely amazing. And everyone's going, yeah, that's one of your lyrics, mate. Are you... <laughs> What's wrong with you? Is is there anything else that anyone else has become obsessed with in lockdown and f- feels almost embarrassingly preacher-like about it? I found... Uh, my brother recommended a series called Joe Pira Talks, and it's all on, on, on all four, and it's these 11-minute episodes of this comedy... We have a guy called Joe Pira who I'd never heard about, but it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, and I can't shut up about it. And then I remind myself that four weeks ago I'd never heard of this guy, and I'm talking down to people like, you've not seen Joe Pira talks? Fucking hell. Um, There's an amazing... James has obviously had that uh, with this drummer. There's an amazing Doug Stanhope line about that, uh, about talking about how much of a dick he is. And how he uh, will look down on someone for not knowing about something that he got into yesterday, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. which is Amazing. such a perfect summation of how we all we all yeah. do that. Where like you'll read a book and then one week later you'll be like, "Have you not read this book?" Yeah. It's, it's fucking <laughs> yeah. perfect. It's, when, yeah. when we DJ, people come and ask you for songs, and I just I'm mm. like, "No, I don't know who you're, you're asking for," and they get so upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're so Rightly angry. So. In that situation, they're completely <laughs> <in the> right <laughs> because. <laughs> Your 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 job is you're a DJ and they are just a member of the public, so you should absolutely know everything but we've had, we've about music. Had, uh, exactly. You're getting paid. I'm not omnipotent. I don't know everything, and like I've had like these weird, weird. No, no, no. Like, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not siding with you. I completely mean it. <laughs> you're not going to win me over. Or Doug Stanhope. I I saw Doug Stanhope, and he's a comedian that he works best when people don't know what he is. It kind of gets ruined when everyone's in on the joke. I mean, his early gigs and him and, mm. and Neil Hamburg is another example. Like when people are just sh- shocked and outraged. And I heard about him late because I'm not as cool as 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 I'll try and make myself seem on social media. But but I saw him headline a, a comedy festival put on by Pims, which meant, <laughs> which meant you got to experience the outrage. <laughs> of people who don't know who Doug Sanhope is. And he started the show by doing a couple of jokes and saying, <laughs> brought to you by Pims. And again, it's, it's, it's obviously wrong to, 
to ruin people's jokes, but it was 10 years ago. And he started off by going, do you know what I currently love the best about child pornography? Do you know what I currently find funniest about child pornography? And he paused and said, the lack of credits. Um, and, and, and again, the outrage from these PIMS festival goers. And he did more and more stuff. But my favourite thing was that, and you guys will know, obviously, huge experience of stagecraft and how you address the crowd and when in james's case when you alienate the crowd um, <laughs> but, but but he would he would start he at one point he started a joke at one side of the stage and the woman next to me was literally standing up and booing and by the time he'd got round to her he'd brought the joke round and made it clear that the joke was on what she found offensive and he's actually making a clever point about it and she literally had been standing up and booing the whole time and by the time he'd faced her she was like okay i'll i'll sit back down now and 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 take mm-hmm. that on the chin but yeah the craft That's, yeah I've, I've probably never have you ever i i've definitely never achieved that i don't know if ed has but like i i've never had it that someone is standing up and telling me i'm shit and then sits down and goes yeah fair enough That's but i don't good. like I, my, I, my worst nightmare is saying the first line of a joke and everyone being upset I'd ru- like personally sure. on stage. I love watching other people do that, but I'm not taking that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be up yeah, there yeah. and say the first line, and everyone's like, "Well, this sounds like something we can all get on board with." Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably to my discredit as a comedian. Oh no, I, I I love watching you, Ed, and being on board from beginning to end. I, I it feels very nice to me. Doug Stanhope is probably one of the few examples where he still kind of is on the right side of that. A lot of comedians who have started off where he is, where they start the joke off at a point where you disagree with it, and then by the end you agree with it, they eventually just turn into one of those comics who is like a, a piece of shit and is just like talking about really horrible stuff. And you go, oh, the whole time you actually always as an individual agreed with your first statement. Yeah. And you only brought us round to the, to the end of the joke because you had to in order to, for the gig to go well. But now you've discovered that most of your fans are people who get on board with the first line of your joke and therefore you don't have to deviate from that. You can just yeah. keep the whole joke the same. Yeah. But completely. Doug Stanhope is one of those people who kind of, it seems that if people like him, he wants to piss them off even more. And so yeah. therefore, and, and, and to be honest, weirdly, Frankie Boyle is the same. When the Frankie Boyle, I used to fucking hate Frankie Boyle and like just be like, he's just like going out, lowest common denominator stuff, you know, being homophobic, sexist, all kinds of shit. And he seems to have like hated his audience to the point where he now wants to do comedy that winds those people up. Yeah. And what he does now, I find fascinating. Like, oh, I'd it. like to. But he's, he, I hope someone's been documenting the last few years. He, he was life. always. Yeah, I mean, he was always actually. clearly an amazing fucking writer, even when he was doing mm. that stuff that mm. you know you didn't yeah. like. But he's just. Yeah. He's now just pivoted that into something that's that's clearly means way more to him. So it's just it has I, way mm, more of an yeah. impact. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's the perfect example of that. Like his episode uh, when he was on Russell Brand's podcast. And they're both people that you can quite rightly have a lot of issues with and you can be turned around or you can support or, or, or attack. He articulates it perfectly on there, his, his approach and why it's controversial and the artisticness of it being controversial and why it's allowed to be controversial. But his recent tra- travel show on the BBC, which I think, I assume a fair few people watch, but I didn't see a lot of people talk about it was w- one of the best r- written bits of comedy 
I've ever seen. His his ability to write a a piece and not have it interrupted by the crowd going oh like uh, when they're not sure where it's it's going is mind blowing. It's such a piece of art. But to give balance on on Doug Stanhope is I'm a big Doug Stanhope fan, but when I brought him up uh, when I had Sarah Pascoe on, she talked about how when she, she was on. On 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 Frankie Boyle's show, in fact, uh, with mm-hmm. Doug, how he didn't have that. He was j- just defensive right. to her and quite rude. And I think he's one of them mm-hmm. that he needs to have the time to work a joke and craft it to get round to that bit where it's a work of art. The bit where it's just horrendously offensive, yeah. he can do that at the drop of a hat. <laughs> the bit where it becomes a work of art and a beautiful statement, mm. that takes some craft. And on a show... Uh, I, I like Frankie's New World Order, which I think is hugely underrated as well. He's probably just only got the time to say the mm. hugely offensive bit well, and not have the bit that justifies yeah. it and make it make sense. What I always think about him uh, is yeah. the, the traditional fair, thing. Yeah. The traditional thing is that uh, you should always punch up and not punch down in comedy. Yeah, he punches down. But then you look at him and think, oh, no, you think you're punching down, but you're actually punching up because you're a complete bag of shit whose life's a mess. And his life is genuinely a mess. He, he lives that. Like, he's I've, a fucking disaster. Uh, one of the times I saw him live in London, I genuinely text a few mates to say that might be the last ever Doug Stanhope gig because there were so many bits where he just went off track. It was just after his mum had died and he just told a story of when he went mm. and s- sat with her body and stuff like that. And, and there was n- no punchline. He'd get to the end of this long ramble and go, I don't know how I got there. And he'd be dr- <laughs> drunk because that's his thing. And it was so so dark. Mm-hmm. But the bits... This is going to sound like a weird comparison, but it's like Baby Shambles. There's, sure. <laughs> you, if you go and see Baby Shambles, there's so much where you're just going, oh, my God, this is a depressing mess. But then it means that those moments where it all gels and it's this work of art, it makes them mean all the more. And I had that... I remember mm-hmm. seeing him at Reading one year and so much of that gig was one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Everyone was off their face. No one was on the right page. But the moments that they hit that flow on the big songs or whatever, it made it just, wow, this is almost a religious mm. experience because you know that they've shown that they're so close to destruction that when they go that complete flip of a work of art, a work of brilliance and unifying everyone in the room, it means all the more than... A, and then when Ed has everyone on board from the first line of his joke. <laughs> boring, it, boring, isn't Although, it? Boring, isn't fair, it? Not having a drink after, before you go on to be a professional. After every single Ed Gamble show, I do text my friends saying, that is the last Ed Gamble show we're ever going to see. <laughs> uh, so, to be fair... Yeah, but that's more hopeful. He gets a similar, he gets a similar that, response. Yeah, you, and you really, really, you really should predictive. stop texting that to me, James. <laughs> Look, you're my friend. I, I want you to be involved, Ed. I don't want to exclude you from this. Okay. That is the last Ed Gamble show I ever want to see. Other than that, well, great stuff, never, Ed. Never, ever going to see him again. What you were saying then, Pip, about, like, you know, baby shambles. and Like, that's the, as much as I hate performing live, what I love about live performance is that you can't edit it and it is just 
whatever it is in the moment. And so therefore, if it does feel completely awkward and tokenly like this is fucked, this person or this band are completely past it now or whatever it is that they, they've like written themselves off. And then the next moment, they can make you feel like they're the greatest act you've ever seen in the world. Like, and the, and the amount of time that doesn't get captured on a live DVD or like, or a, you know, a streamed like yeah. performance or whatever that you go like, because like stand up is basically that. Whenever you watch any stand up, no matter who they are, even if they're like the most mainstream stand up in the world, if you're in the audience, you're thinking this could go badly. Like they might not be funny and everyone might not laugh. And that's like the tension that you feel in the crowd in the room is that it might go bad. And the release and the relief and the uh, enjoyment you feel as an audience is that it goes well and they're working the room. But when you watch it on a recording, you're like, well, of course it's going well. I'm sat in my living yeah, room nice yeah. and safe and they're smashing Yeah, and it. you don't get that tension. Have, have you had that at all on podcasts? Because I had that with... A lot, one of my my favourite podcasts I've done is is when I had Mary J Blige on, and I know it's not what, uh, one of the most l- listened to, or it's not one that people tweet me about loads. But how? <laughs> yeah, no, okay, not. <laughs> but, but, but Mary J Blige, me and Ed just then fought in our heads. I wish we could get oh, Mary J Blige, Blige on our podcast. But, J Blige on it. But again, yeah. the 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 buzz of it was because of that, because of that experience of playing live, um, and that that knowing. That it's on the edge of failing and then winning them over. Festivals are the prime example of knowing that it's not your crowd and they're not just there yeah. to clap for you. So when you win them over, it means all the more. And the first half of that that Mary J. Blige interview is just a press junket interview. It's just standard answers. Answers. Oh, we're not going anywhere. But then there's a point where I win her over that we get talking about hip hop and it changes and it gets to the point where I ask her about R. Kelly. And her being the person who gave him his first kind of big collaboration and all the stuff that's come since. And it's it's amazing. It meant the world to me. But I know it didn't go that way with everyone else. And one that I tuned in with you guys on Off Menu out of curiosity was Rose McGowan. Because I was like, this could go anywhere. This could be. I, I was stunned to see her on oh, your mate. on your podcast. That, that, that was I one, thought it was, Yeah, that was one where... You're right. It's when I thought it's fantastic to, to 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 give it away. I thought it's it's fantastic, and she was so warm and engaging mm. and up for it. Because yours is a podcast where you're relying on the fact they're going to engage on the fact that James is a genie. <laughs> That's a big jump. That's a big jump from to, from from step one. So to see Rose McGowan's name come up, I was like, oh fuck, how's this going to go? But but she but was it was amazing. Was fucking so, yeah. Amazing. But you're right. When you have a guest yeah. where you've not booked them because they're a mate and you know they'll nail the podcast. You've booked yeah. them. You've booked them because you know they, they're a name, or they'd be an interesting person to get on. Or you know, if you saw the episode pop up, you'd be excited to see that person on. You never know how they're going to be or how they're going to react because, at least with yours, you can get into stuff. You can take the conversation sort of where you want. You know, if you think you're getting towards a subject they don't necessarily like, you can <laughs> yeah. move it away. Ours is very much locked into a menu format, so we if, can't really mate, back if they, out. If they, if, if they don't want to talk about sides, yeah. there's no <laughs> yeah. dodging it. You've got to get into sides. Yeah. But Rose was a great example of someone we were nervous beforehand, where we were like, we don't know what she's going to be like, because she's like yeah. this ethereal figure sort of in the media, and, yeah. you know, in the entertainment world. Mm. And she nailed it minute one. We were relaxed minute one with Rose, because she yeah. was so funny. Absolutely amazing. And I said, I when, saw that name come up, and I was like... 
wow. And she just went with... What is this? Ev- she went with everything. And to the po- I think there was yeah. like five minutes in we were talking about being on a farm with all the different types of bread and lassoing the different types of bread. And she was just mate, going with it. Mate, and we were a, like, this is fucking a, amazing. A, about ten minutes in, it f- felt like open flirtation. And, and as, two people who were f- as two people who were probably fans of Marilyn Manson at the time, she, she wore that, that dress at that awards thing. That was probably blowing all of your minds. I was listening thinking, what's going on? This is amazing. Also, we were just really laughing... By the time she left, we were really laughing about the fact that she's been involved in one of the biggest news stories and media revolutions in the last 50 years and has been at the of forefront course, me too. of a huge thing. But we did not bring it up or mention it once. And she didn't do many podcast no. interviews and all we spoke to her was about was about bread and cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or oh, when she picked her favourite side, I think... Not- no, it was actually on on dessert. She she said a dessert that she adores, and James said me too. But it wasn't related. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, did I? He, 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 oh, he, I didn't, he didn't even realise that. He didn't add the hashtag, so no. it was absolutely legitimate. Also, and I, I know I know but, James. We recorded that episode maybe eighteen months ago. Now you've mentioned that to him, he will be up all night thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm just to be thinking now. Did loads of people absolutely to, hate me and to, think that I was being a little cheeky shit? But to, like be that clear, episode, to be clear, I've completely made that up. Yeah, because Pip, I would, I would have, pick, I would have I, picked I, up on that at the time. Yeah, and I, I, I was more agreed. I was more annoyed that you'd insinuate I'd ever agreed with anyone. But um, <laughs> the, 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 the thing about that episode, what was really could like. Um, for me anyway because Ed is really good in across the podcast and listens to it when it goes out and I don't have any concept of <laughs> I never listen to them I don't know what they're like but I'm the same the day that we made that episode was a very because like you know when we started to do the podcast we didn't think it was going to be um, anything and um, the more that we did it people were listening and we were interacting with it and it was um it felt like more of a ch- an achievement as it went on. And the day when we recorded that one, um, I think it was still the first series, right? It was still the first yeah, series. Yeah, I think it was the end of the first series, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, that day, our guests were, in this order, Jack McBrayer, then Rose McGowan, <laughs> then Dynamo. And that was our, <laughs> that was our, that was our day. And... It was such a funny thing to us that, for one, like we didn't think we'd ever get Rose McGowan or anyone like her, and it was really funny that she's been followed by someone like Dynamo, who we're like, we're fans of. But it's again, funny to like again, back ama- to back, yeah, or, or amazing that she had clearly n- never heard of the podcast at all, and Dynamo had clearly heard every episode and absolutely adored it. Was w- well up for yeah. it and and w- well on board. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, weirdly, both of them weren't like so. Both of them were people that had. I think they were both people who had messaged me on Twitter about something else, and then I'd gone, "Do you want to do a podcast?" <laughs> so it was like you know, so like ambushed both of them really. But like Jack McBrayer was doing waitress in the West End, and we kind of yeah. like got him. And so oh, it, he it was, was an amazing where... episode. I've just remembered who, who oh, Jack McBrayer is he was, in, in Thirty Rock. He and... was so confused. So he was good. so confused by the whole thing. Uh, and yeah. was just baffled by the entire thing and didn't know what he was doing, but l- loved it. I think had a really nice time. And then afterwards was like, oh, do you have more guests today? And we were like, yeah, we've got Rose yeah. McGowan. And he went, what? 
He couldn't wrap his head around. And then we heard, he, he went, I love her. I've never met her. And we heard mm. the meet in reception. We were sat in the little room. We heard yeah. the meet and he'd waited <laughs> to meet her. It was so lovely. His voice really is the epitome nice. of, of Southern hospitality. Yeah. And he was like that throughout. It was so beautiful. Yeah. So polite, so warm and like friendly and just makes you feel like whatever you've said to him, no matter how clumsily you've said it, it hasn't offended him, it hasn't upset or, him, yeah, he's I fine mean, with you. The absolute and highlights were the times that James <laughs> clearly made him uncomfortable and he was far too polite uh, to say it. He's like, well, yeah. okay then, that's the art, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucking It was beautiful. Ed's kind of training for America. From, from, from When we went to America, <laughs> I was like, right, yeah. every episode is going to be Jack McBray because Ed having to explain what poppadoms are and blah, blah, blah. But that <laughs> day was like, it was our last day of recording for a while. It was our first block of recording for uh, the podcast. And I think there's just like, you know, there's there's things that will always mean more to you than they do to anyone else. And I think that day was a really nice day of like us recording three people who we were quite excited to have on the podcast. We didn't think... In, I remember in the morning we said, there's no way all these people are going to turn yeah, up. Yeah, we, like, we, thought, that was, we thought they weren't going to show up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then they all showed up. We recorded all of them. We really enjoyed all of them. Also, that was the day where we originated the joke about Ed getting diabetes because he fell in the Thames. And, <laughs> and it came up in all, in all three episodes. Well, you, really when you say it came up in all three episodes, you made sure it came up in all three episodes. So, yeah, I and, and because we pre-record so far in advance and we never know well, what order they're going to go out in, if we have three episodes in a day and we decide <laughs> we're going to do a joke in every single one of them, that's a joke for two series. Like that, yeah. That is enough yeah. to amazing. stretch a whole I love series. It. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did, did mess things up a bit there. Fair enough, but it was great. I like. Um, I, I'm very like. I'm very sentimental about that day. The yeah. the, the Jack McBray and Rose McGowan and Dynamo Day. Like that. We went out afterwards, got drunk, and then I had to do a gig. And it's one of only four gigs I've done drunk. Um, have you only but, done? Like, have you only yeah, done four I, drunk? Yeah, and and this was the only one that wasn't at the Edinburgh Festival as well. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, most the other three have all been done, in Edinburgh. Yeah, have you only done four drunk? Because I just don't, like, before gigs, of, often I'm too nervous to drink, so I just don't do it. Um, in Edinburgh, the gigs I've done drunk have either been, they were so late at, oh no, so they weren't all in Edinburgh. So uh, two of them were in Edinburgh. One was I forgot I had a gig and got drunk, and then I was <laughs> texted by the promoter. So I had to run across town and do the gig. Another was so late that I just like, fuck it, I don't care, and got drunk. And then the other one was in Kilkenny Festival, where I was there for all the whole festival. The first day I died both times, and the compares has stitched me up. Because it, it's, it's, it's in, in, in Ireland, and the, uh, the compare both times was the same guy, and had basically told the audience that I was a piece of shit before I went on. And uh, <laughs> when I went on, I just died. And I, I had him for like, there's a whole bunch of different gigs where you do like 10 minutes each. And uh, they're all like, you know, um, lineup shows. And I'd done so badly consistently for like a bunch of gigs that by the by the one... Oh, that was it. I did one in the afternoon and Ashton B was on. And the compare gave me such a bad introduction that throughout my set, all I heard was Ashton B bollocking the compare at the back of the room and telling him <laughs> you can't give people an introduction like that. Oh, man, and then I, I love came off. So wow. much. Ashton's like... 
so much the best, especially in that situation. Like, so yeah. got your back. And then I came off, and it was Ashlyn and her entire family, because it was, like, in Kilkenny. So, like, her whole family was there. I started drinking with her family, including her uncle, who has a strict rule that you don't mix, whis- you don't mix whiskey with anything else. So, I, at the time, I was having uh, ginger... I was going through a ginger ale and whiskey phase. But when I started to drink that, he was like, I'm absolutely not having this, especially when you're on my turf. So, like, it was like... I was just drinking, for the first time in my life, straight whiskies. I'd never done that before because I didn't like the yeah. taste of it. And I did it because I wanted to win the approval of this man. Was you allowed ice in to... it, James? No, I wasn't allowed just, that. Just and I wanted, I wanted him to think that I was a good man and to think that I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, worth, hang- worth hanging out with. And so I was just trying to... And it felt good. And the, I, I think, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of men will admit that it feels very good to win the approval of an older man who has ridiculous boundaries of what is okay in life. And it's really good <laughs> to kind of like try and fit into that. It's, 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 it's literally why Stu's here, but yeah, yeah, completely. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, Stu is here to, <laughs> to give us approval of that older man. Stu, do you approve of this? Because yeah. at uh, uh, a point there, you, halfway through did. James's story, because you're sat in your bar, you had your, your head in your hand and you looked like an annoyed landlord when it was closing time. <laughs> 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 What was it that rattled you? What was it that, that you didn't like about oh, it? Oh, 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 I know for a fact that it's that what happened there was Stu and Chris remembered their most potentially dangerous and controversial moment in podcasting is when they had an Irish person on their podcast, their hardcore listing podcast, where you pick a top five of anything, and he bought his top five Irish whiskies, and they got mm. Fucking blind drunk um, in that very room, Stu. In that very room, it was Just, it was ridiculous, wasn't it, Chris? Like we we worked out. He brought over all of these incredible whiskies, and obviously, just you know, instructed us to drink them neat. Uh, and I think we drunk. We worked out in an hour. We drunk over a pint of whiskey each, didn't yeah. we? I've, I've, I've got to pause you and let people know that because <laughs> because we're watching this on Zoom. James has got up to go and get a drink from the fridge, and it's like the prodigy smack your bitch up. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really where, is. Where he's, take, he's taking his phone with him, and we're just like, it's moving around. But it's like the, it's like the anyway. smack your bitch up video where the reveal has come far too early. <laughs> <laughs> continue, Stu, continue. Sorry, yeah, you got wankered, basically. Oh, it, it was shocking, wasn't it, Chris? And, yeah. and, and um, I don't know why we just got really excited to, to sort of try and keep him like really happy and he was like he'd come down from london and he'd come out to essex and uh and once we'd finished drinking the whiskey i mean this was literally like five o'clock in the afternoon wasn't it we was absolutely wrecked smashed and then for some reason we decided it'd be a good idea to go to the pub and drink some guinness and obviously drink guinness like when how many times so ridiculous. you go down the pub and never guinness? never i just wanted a lager but i felt i had to drink guinness but we were the, rob and he was irish and we were like right now it's time for guinness now the, and uh, the that thing, was one of the messiest post podcasts we've had yeah, it, was, Mate, it was disgusting ed i need to ed i need to use you as a as a as, as a study group for this yeah but they recently did a podcast that was top five after parties what would you interpret that to mean, Ed? <laughs> uh, when you've been to a lovely event uh, and there's a party afterwards. Oh. A, 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 amazing. Chris, for some reason, <laughs> interpreted it as top five 
things that have happened after a party. So literally, it's the morning after. He's talking about the times he's had a really good fry-up and just all sorts of other shit. I, I was in tears. I and prefer Stu that. Had done, Stu had done top five after parties, a party, as, as, R. Kelly, as R. Kelly has stated, after the party comes the after party. Yeah, the hotel lobby, But right? for Chris, he was like... So he, he, he chose one that was a wedding... Where he spoke about how <laughs> him and the rest of the guests met up and helped put away the tables. <laughs> I actually, I totally prefer. Up. I prefer that. I want to hear more of more of Chris's after party. And, and the thing was, I I didn't really like. We do so many top fives. Sometimes I've written half of it before I've really, really thought about what the question is. <laughs> Everyone thought, oh, who listens to it. hardcore listing knows that's the fact, Chris. I just so. thought, oh fuck it, no one's here for the top five. That's why people don't listen to our podcast really an after party is not scraping volivants into a bin bag mate. (laughs) (laughs) it it cracked me up because the start was chris going Stu, how have you interpreted this and i was like he's not interpreted this in any other way than the obvious way has he i've kind of interpreted as things that have happened after a party <laughs> I just when when, work when you were talking about after parties there, just to go back to new metal briefly, uh yeah. <laughs> I saw System of a Down in two thousand and one at Brixton Academy and got to go backstage to the after party. Oh, wow. And they gave they gave me a free beer when I walked in. I was fifteen. Uh and I saw Amazing. Sarah Kaywood in the flesh and then I met John Delmay the drummer and then oh. Serge Tankian and then I left after half an hour and it was the best night of my life. Oh, I mean, well. that's a hell of an after party. To go to go back to where me and Chris saw Papa Roach and Head PE, we went on to Feet First at Coco, and Papa Roach were partying there, and they took a liking to me. And you'll like this, Ed, because I had the same haircut as the guy from Alien Ant Farm. <laughs> <laughs> Who who were friends of Papa Roach? So they they, literally, they gave me free drink tokens. They gave me all sorts of stuff because like he's got the lines shaved down his 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 wow. shaved head and Papa yeah, Roach so and Papa Roach and Deftones were responsible for Alien Ant Farm's success. I think they pretty much lifted them to where they got to. I genuinely rate Alien Ant Farm. I think no, the come fact, on, Pip. No, in I fact, do. in fact, when Head PE. When I went to see Head P.E. at Chinneries, they were supporting Alien Ant Farm. And that was it. And movies just it literally made the hairs on my arm, which are plentiful, it made the yep. hairs on my arm stand up. And it was, yeah. Movies is fun. Me and, Pip, me and Pip did a, uh, a pilot for a show that I was... Uh, eventually did get on BBC Three, but BBC Three ruined it. But, like, I, I did a pilot with Pip for it where... Someone came on a guest and they put their iPod on shuffle and we talked about the songs that came up. And one of the songs that came up on Pip's iPod was Movies by Alien Ant Farm. Such and a tune. I also love that song. And probably I reckon I could go back and listen to an- Anthology. And I would still, <laughs> I think I would still like I'm, it. I think I'm I genuinely, would, I think I, I would. I've been the tester of all of James's least successful projects. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> Yes. Anytime it's it's something big and successful, a like hypothetical or any of these other things, I don't get a phone call. But yep. if it's going to be, if it's niche and it's going to be, I hey, wouldn't go near you. Hey, no, off, off, menu, off menu has done very well, and you were the first episode. That's, of that. That's true. I was the first, and I didn't get kicked out despite kind of mentioning the. Oh, oh. You, yeah, that was <laughs> the incredible. Of times. That gets brought up. Jesus Christ! <laughs> people, people bringing up. You should have kicked Scroobius Pip out. 
it was the first episode. It would have made no <laughs> sense for a podcast that no one knows what it is that halfway through we kick the guest out and don't give you the full and, format. And it was on my side. It wasn't even fully through the format. It wasn't no. on and my you, dessert. you agreed to take it off. Yeah. You said, I'll take off the pomegranate seeds. Yeah, and I mean, just as a bit of housekeeping, because I know there's going to be a lot of people who, like me, would be sitting there thinking, who's Jack McBrayer? It's Kenneth from it's Kenneth, it's Kenneth it's Parcell. Kenneth. It's Kenneth. He's he's yeah. wonderful. Um, to uh, to wrap things up, I mean, I normally wrap oh, things shit. up. Are we wrapping things up? I've just Have opened you... a full bottle of wine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, me? we get to. I mean, to start part three. <laughs> Pip, instead of Pip, wrapping James has just opened another bottle of wine, and we've only spoken about new metal. So, I'm, yes. I'm, I mean, I'm fine with continuing. Then, I oh, nothing yes, please. So I've, I've committed to this too much now. I so can't, I, if I if I stop now, it's going to be the worst moment of lockdown. I'm, I'm, one, so I'm gonna, one and a half bottles of wine in, just to let you know. I've I had mean, one and a half bottles in of red that wine. Case, Stu, how are you doing? A little update all round. Uh, Stu's just emptying them. Just finish that one. Oh, so you're only one. Yeah, you're only yeah, one bottle of wine in. I am. Yeah. Oh, a man who's but got his I own bar to... knows how to control himself. Chris? <laughs> I need to remix. I need a new cocktail. So I'm going to go Yo. and raid the uh, shelves. So you, you only had enough for that. Oh, how the fuck have you got that, Stu? You got back in time. They sponsored... Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they sponsored Hardcore Listing. They, they got in touch with us on the podcast and said, right. will you... Uh, yes, they just sent us a crate if, of that, didn't they, Chris? If, wow. if, that's, if That's our sponsorship level. Who, I was going to say... <laughs> and, if, and teens. If, drunk teens. If there's ever... I'm, I'm drunk constantly teens saying, from the 90s? I mean, so, like, you've got no one... <laughs> You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. As you can tell from the loudness and rowdiness, there's more to come and we get louder and rowdier. So tune in for part three. In your, If you're subscribing, it will just appear in your apps soon. So get, your, get that subscription in. See you in a bit.